Welcome to season four of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Hey, Joel Tolbert. Howdy, rabbis. How are you, buddy? Wait, what? Is there another one? <laughs> you have multiple personalities, just not in a schizophrenic <laughs> kind of way. But I'm only one rabbi. Of what? <laughs> sometimes oh, you're man. an ancient rabbi. Sometimes you're a reform rabbi. Other times you're neo-orthodox. Oh, yeah. When am I neo-orthodox? Well, you don't know it yet, but your reformedness is becoming the new orthodoxy. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Sorry, listeners, if you just heard a, a bang. I got I got excited at Joel's thought that I, I'm neo-orthodox. Well, you're probably also stomping on bugs left and right who are invading your yeah, studio. Yeah, I got these millipedes in my studio, and um, it's like one of the Egyptian plagues in here. I've re- It's really something. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna have to consult Exodus to see uh, what to do about that. So, Joel, today let my people uh, go I, is the only solution I think to stop let, the plague. Let the millipedes go. Let them out. I don't want them. And mine is sugar ants. Uh, they come right through the window and go for my coffee. I don't know why, but they just love it. See, but ants are so small, and the, these are like an inch long, and they crawl like little crawly crawlers. Very gross. <laughs> Very gross, and not what our not why our listeners are are paying attention to us. We have made it to the end of season four. How about that? Three, four. What? Yes. Really? Really? Wow. We've. We've managed to stay friends and, and colleagues for that long? <laughs> yeah. And before we take a wow. summer break, we get to, to recap season four and the, the four seasons. Uh, <laughs> the four seasons. <laughs> that we've gone through. I'm impressed with us. Uh, yeah. Wonderful. Let's do it. I hope we don't need another January 6th invasion in order to spark us to do things. You know, we've turned down the politics here in season four, and we've tried to stay very scriptural and theological with peppering of politics in and around. But if we look back, part of what really sparked us to start this was the way religion was being co-opted under uh, political purposes. And we were trying to, I think when we said keep it real, we were trying to put religion slash God back over um, the subdivisions of humanity somehow. I don't know if that's your sense of it, but that was part of mine anyway. That, that I wouldn't have phrased it that way. As, as usual, you phrase things better than I, it's the, it's similar to how I think it, but you phrase it much better. Uh, another reason that I think is equally valid um, is I think a lot of times people – we talked about this just on our last episode where we kind of talked about how people say things that they don't necessarily think through what, what it means because thinking through it is painful or difficult. And I think with religion especially, whether it's because people 
you know, went to religious school as a child and then never continued as an adult. But for whatever reasons, people have very kind of, and I'm not trying to insult anyone here, but a simple understanding of religion. And it's sometimes kind of up in the clouds, very ethereal. And we kind of want to bring it back down and literally make it real. Like, how does it apply to daily life? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, not just... Not just eschatology and how did God create the universe and all of these big theological questions, but, you know, how does God want me to treat my partner or how does Judaism or Christianity want me to behave at work or not behave? And, and, but I, but the, the political sense, very big political, right? Not Mm -hmm. partisan, but political is absolutely, uh, as you said, a a big piece of it too. And the, it, what's hard for me, as you're saying that, is, and I'm thinking back about it, is like you and I both go to official religious education where it is intense and full time, and they take us super deep, deconstruct us, right, and try to reassemble us on things that are actually there in the scriptures or traditions, and and then we step back to be leaders of people who haven't gone through that process. So when you and I are doing religion, uh, we have to remember they haven't gone through all that with us. But how do we pull them into it deep enough where they start to see the complexities and the nuances and the, the big themes of religion without thinking that we're talking over their head? And how do we let those big themes and nuances be tangible and have relevance in the daily life. And, and that is that is really a tough tightrope to walk. I, I struggle because sometimes I feel like, okay, I'm talking over their head. And other times I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm watering this down too much. And I don't know how to do both. Like I, I can't water it down, but I can't talk over their heads. And I, I struggle with that space. I don't know if you sense that same struggle. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's even more complicated in that it also, you know, what you said in some ways assumes that that's what people want too. So it's like, you know, for all the programs that we have at Temple, for example, the least attended one is probably, I'm going to say this, I'm going to get really depressed now because I haven't really articulated this before, but it's probably the one thing that I've actually been most trained to do, namely adult education. Now, part of that is because it's on Thursday mornings that attracts a certain demographic. And and I think people also feel like they need, like they can't just come in and out. They need to be regulars. And I've tried to explain that each session is kind of its own thing, even as we have a theme. But um you know, that, that is a very specific entree, not just to Judaism, but to religion that I think you and I both love. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gone to get an advanced degree in that intellectual pursuit. Surely, a spiritual pursuit, absolutely. But we're not graded in seminary. Our diplomas and our theses aren't graded based on our belief, right? They're based on our intellect and how we've put together ideas and things like that. So, um, I think that is a big tension for me also, and a, and a fun one. It's, it's not one that I don't like, but it's, okay, I, I'm, this is who I am. 
And every congregant, is, of course, is at a different place. There's non-believers. There's people who are in it because of their kids. There's people whose spouses want to be a part of it, but they themselves don't may not care as much. And so all those different dynamics are at play to form one, hopefully, cohesive community. Yeah, that one is the big word because I – I found it since it was already getting kind of hard through the Obama years Um, from 28 to 2016. There was some really clear sides that were being taken. Um, And there were before that pro and anti-Bush, pro and anti-Clinton, pro and anti-Bush senior, right? There there have always been sides uh, in America. But what's weird to me now is like religion has, uh, for the most part in America, has claimed a side, and it is the right of center, even hard right. And those of us who are religious and hold anything that's moderate, left of center, or even far left, we are perceived as not the real religions. We are the the fake or the bad or the odd religions. So there's there's something going on when you and I sit together and talk is to remind people to not let the hard right own uh, the God space, the religion space, the faith community space, because there are plenty of faith communities who don't talk about God the way the hard right does. They they don't worship and serve and love one another uh, or judge one another the way the hard right does. And I'm I'm hopeful that something about this gives somebody who is ready to just give and, up on religion um, a way to stay in and hold on. And that is so important to say, Joel. I, I'm so glad you said that. It's like, you know, when, when Jews think about Israel and think that everyone there is, you know, this ultra-Orthodox kind of biblical believer or, um, you know, that that being Jewish means wearing the, you know, wearing the tzitzit and the, and the black suit from the Hasids in the 17th century. And, and, you know, not that that segment isn't important or powerful or, or, but, at, so are we, right? And so are you at, from, from the Christian perspective. And yeah, re- realizing that, that there, there's a multitude of voices that contribute to this thing is so hugely important. I'm aware that the Tree of Life shooter is going up on to the witness stand and the defense table uh, this week. And I'm wondering if that is sparking feelings in you and your congregation. You know, that in and of itself isn't, although it certainly will be something, you know, we pay attention to and have a resonance toward. I, I think, I think what, hurts is that since then things haven't gotten any better uh and as i tell my congregation i don't mean just for jews it's they're not really better for for a lot of non-white heterosexuals Mm -hmm. uh and if you'll forgive the sarcasm you know especially in florida (laughs) my home state i mean it's just a nightmare it's a nightmare. And sometimes I, I, I don't hear this from my congregants, but I do hear it of like, why, you know, why are you all, meaning, you know, liberal Jews, so, so hung up on gay rights and, um, 
gender affirmation in these things. It's like, because that's, because I mean, that's humanity that that's showing and being your identity. What could be, what is more powerful than that? Tell me what is more important than that. Mm-hmm. I was, and, you know, and if we take, if we take seriously the idea that, that God created us in God's image, then we need to treat each other as if that's the case. Nice. I, I'm, there was that whole imagery of when they came for the blank, I said nothing. When they came for the so-and-sos, yeah, I did nothing. Yeah, the famous poem. Mm-hmm. Until they finally came for me. And and I think those of us who are aware that that's how evil, whatever it is, kind of moves in our world, those of us of faith or in communal religious institutions, we try to say things earlier and to warn people earlier, to lock arms and to call out earlier, not just for self-defense reasons, but to resist evil earlier so it won't grab another section of our brothers and sisters anywhere on the planet, which means that we're constantly locking arms and screaming at things. And some people find, well, this isn't a fun community. You're always locking arms and screaming. Uh, And I get it, yeah. But until evil ends its pursuit of division and war and violence and separation and segregation, that's our role, is to say something and resist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was disappointed that the you know, he pleaded guilty to everything, uh, the shooter at Tree of Life, and he explained yep. everything. And I mean, he is, uh, right, just it's awful it, it, just to hear how he thought, right? But he did not choose all by himself to think that way. Somebody taught him and encouraged him and reinforced him to think that way and to push those thoughts into an action. Now, what's bothered me, two things about the trial, I don't know if you've heard these, is one, he confessed to everything if they would take the death penalty off the table, and the prosecutors wouldn't. So he's going to trial not because he's guilty of it all, but because they wanted the death penalty for him. And I am not okay with the death penalty ever, ever, ever. I'm ever, not either. Ever. I'm not. Okay. I am not either. And I, I'm. It. You know. Th- there are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not either. <laughs> no need to go. And the other defense that he's trying to use, and they're, they're, this may elicit a religious response, is he's trying to say that he didn't attack the synagogue because it was Jewish. He's trying to say he attacked the Jews in the synagogue because they were housing refugees, and he was anti-refugee as a political statement, not as a race or hate statement of a people. Now, can you believe that he's that his defense attorneys are trying that? Well, those are different things. Can I believe the defense attorneys are trying that? <laughs> of course. No, no, and I mean. That's their job. And I'm not even being like cynical or like that is their, or, you know, sarcastic, but, uh, because being, because, because the punishment, if it was a hate crime against Jews would possibly work, be worse is the thinking. Yeah. And I don't know what religion's role is sometimes in, in the face of these national moments. You and I are trying our best to to help people see the complexities and the nuances and then to put them real. But in our national picture, most of my people feel kind of helpless to do anything big um, that changes anything 
you know, internationally, nationally, even in our town, even in our little town, it's hard to change relationships and politics and town governance and ordinances. It's, wow, like I'm shocked at how much momentum uh, systems and institutions have. And if religion are supposed to do that better, I don't know if we're, we're going to need a new set of tools. Yeah, I agree. I, I sometimes say this, I, I mean, it's a little bit snarky, but, you know, we, the people who practice religion are just like the people who practice anything else in that we're people. We're, the fact that we're religiously based doesn't inherently make us better. I think we think it does. And that's, that is in essence part of the problem. Um, <laughs> I don't ever think of it as making us better, only more responsible. Like there is a, there is something about. No, no, I mean, we think. Yeah, go on. I interrupted you. Yeah, there's just something about religion that that tends to make us hopefully more aware of ourselves, more aware of our neighbors, and therefore the awareness sparks the natural human desire to do community better in a more loving and just way. And and when you suck somebody who's semi-religious or even irreligious into a religious community, the vocab and the priorities seem so weird. And and what I think I'm learning is that the resistance that I get from inside a congregation to my attempt to be aware and to serve is from people who would rather not really see some of the problems in our world and would rather not feel responsible for them. But as a human being, once they see, they do feel. And it's not always a good feeling. So the, the religious responsibility isn't just to show it to them and to help them respond to it, but to help them feel their way through all of that, because <laughs> that's the new thing. Yeah, that that's good. I, I've given um, a sermon before. I haven't done it in a long time where um, – talking about Moses at the burning bush when God says, you know, the first thing God says to Moses is take your, your shoes off because you're on holy ground. And, you know, we, from from a cultural historical per- perspective, some of us associate taking your shoes off as a sign of respect. But I don't know that anyone would kind of a priori think of that, right? right? So there's this there's this litany of interpretation. What is so important? Not only that God asks Moses to remove his shoes, but that's the first thing. And one of the things that I've lifted from that is what God is telling Moses to do is like, look, you're going to be a leader. You're going to have a lot, you're going to have a lot of power. You're going to have a lot of responsibility. People are going to look up to you, but don't ever forget to feel like have your feet in the muck of it, in the mess of life. You're not in this ivory tower kind of directing your people. You're in it with them, and it's going to be messy and dirty and complicated. And the idea of feeling, I think, is is very much woven into that. What are the other interpretations other than, hey, get, get dirty and take your shoes off and get in the muck and uh, show respect? What are the other interpretations for taking the shoes off? That's a great question. That That's the one I remember that I've used for 20 years. So I, I'm sure there are others, but none other are going to come to me. I, you know, I'd have to look up the Rashi or another commentator. Um, 
That's great, though. I, yeah. I love that. There is a weird story of Jesus. You know, I always do this to you. Sorry. Um, there's a weird story of Jesus where in two or three of the Gospels, right before Jesus is arrested, betrayed by one of his own and arrested it to, uh, and headed toward his crucifixion, um, he breaks bread and pours a cup and they share what we now do as the Lord's Supper or Communion or Eucharist. In one of the Gospels, that's not what he does on the last night. He washes the disciples' feet. So the stole that a lot of clergy wear around their neck is a sign of the towel that Jesus used to wash feet, and it's a symbol of service. And in that, the disciples are like, oh, no, 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 I'm not letting you wash my feet. I'm not, in other words, I'm not taking my shoes off for you. Uh, huh, you know, and I've always connected that to the Moses burning bush, take your shoes off. And then what he he goes, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're taking, I'm washing your feet. And then they're like, well, don't just wash my feet, wash my head and my hands too. And Jesus is like, no, just your feet. That's enough. That's, that's all I need. And I've always connected that to the burning bush, sandals off, Moses component. Sure. Because I think there is something about the vulnerability. Um, I'm leaving a prized possession. Back then, shoes were a a valuable prized possession. Your ability to run or to escape or whatever depended on your feet not stepping on thorns and briars and rocks. And so the sandals and shoes that you wore made it so you could be nimble and quick. And if you, once you leave those behind, you lose value and you lose mobility. You lose some freedom. You You admit, okay, I'm not running from you. I'm, I'm hanging out with you. I'm going to wait and linger with you until you give me my shoes back and let me and let me go. So I, I wonder if that's what religion is supposed to do is invite people to take mm. their shoes off. If you enter some of the, um, the other temples like that, that big temple in Georgia, right? Um, that, Where I got married, the temple, if that's what you're thinking about. No, the, in Atlanta? No, the four... Oh, the Indian couple that used to live across the street took me out there one day. And they, of course, make you take your shoes off as you enter. Everybody. Oh, not a, not a Jewish Not synagogue. a Jewish temple or synagogue, right? Oh, okay. Um, and it was, you know, it's this very first thing you do when you enter is take shoes off. Um, sure. And somebody one time asked me, why do we have to do that? And I was like, because Moses did. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, pastor. Thank you. Yeah. Right. You're like I don't I don't know. <laughs> it's weird if you if you step into an interreligious space, a lot of people's vocabulary falls apart and if you'll give them a vocab from their own religion that mirrors yes, the religion you're going to, it it works all of a sudden. It does, but sometimes it's it's not good. In other words, like people are like it's like you know that sort of reasoning is why like Hanukkah is called the Jewish Christmas, right? Or Christmas is called the, the Christian Hanukkah. It's like they're so different from one another. We're watering both of them down. Or, you know, oh, Passover's like Easter. Like, no, they're not. <laughs> and that's the religion part. But I, I do hear you. I mean, you need to give people a framework. Absolutely. Yeah. But this goes back to what we were saying before. Like, hopefully people build on that, though. Yes. You know, and don't have these kind of simplistic metaphors to rely on. That is the real religion part. If somebody's at zero, you just get them to one. And it, once they nod to one, you walk them to two. Right. So what I, I do worry about the ivory tower who fuss at clergy like you and me practicing in congregations for not being nuanced enough. 
and then I worry about my congregation um, who aren't even at two sometimes. So if I sit at six and try to interpret between two and ten, that's not because I don't love the ten, and it's not because I don't understand and remember the two. It's just I'm trying to bridge the gap between the complexities and nuances and where the people really are. So uh, what's next for us? We'll take a summer break and uh, come back in the fall, I imagine, Well, it was season five. Holy cow. What should we do in season five? It's a good question. Listeners, y'all have our email. Last last week we did a listener question episode, so we're excited to have y'all to give us some advice on how to build season five. For all those notes that Eric took at the brewery and then lost, we'd love for y'all to send them wait in. Wait a minute, again. wait a minute. You lost them too. <laughs> you lost them too. I did lose them too. How did we both lose them when Man. we both have tools? I know. It's uh, I know. I know. It's very upsetting. I, I think I've learned never, ever, ever delete text messages. Just just let them grow forever in my phone. Yep. Yep. Well, I will wish uh, both of us hopefully a rejuvenating uh, – rejuvenating. Um, never gets old. Uh, summer, I, you know, you and I, of course, will be talking offline, I'm sure. But um, looking forward to a few months from now, uh, hopefully our brains will – We'll figure out a good, good and meaningful topic for season five. And anyone else having suggestions, please uh, reach out to us. Yeah, we'll see y'all at Friday Shabbat or Sunday worship, maybe at Mercedes Benz, maybe at a, a Nickel Creek oh. concert over the summer, wherever y'all end up oh, being. Oh, they're coming. They're coming here. Nice. Yeah, I need to get on that, actually. Jill and I are going to see yeah. them in New York. Oh, beautiful. What venue? That that pier. It's on, right on the water, that open open air pier. Oh, dude. <laughs> I saw them like 15 years ago. Uh many times. Um Yeah, they're so good. Uh Okay, weird story on the way great. out. Do you remember the the name Rev, Reverend Harold Camping? No. He was the guy that predicted the end of the world on May 21st, 2011. Well, okay. two Sundays ago was May 21st, and right. Nickel Creek has a song called 21st of May that makes fun of Reverend, Reverend Harold Camping for his prediction of the end of the world. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. So, is, that on a new, is that on a newer album? It's an older one. It's their like 2014 album. So you'll have to look up okay. 21st of May, y'all. 21st of May. I'm definitely going to listen to that. <laughs> All right, Joel. Well, this was great as always, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today. And invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realigenpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.